Welcome to Talking Not Ranting. My name is Alistair Field. And I'm Greg Smith. You've dropped in on our current series, The Struggle to Be a Good Manager. And today's episode is entitled The Speed Round. Now, let's set the stage. Greg and I have been friends for a long time, and this is our second recording today. So I don't think there's anything new to report on our relationship. No, not, nothing new since the last uh, five minutes. <laughs> so just for those of you that are dropping in uh, for the first time, Greg and I have been managers for a long time. We have both benefited from other people assisting us in our management development. In most of our episodes, we are going to discuss a situation where we and others have missed the mark. And we always start at the perspective of the employee and then move on from there. And we always uh, discuss how we have observed others deal with these situations successfully and some of the lessons that we've learned. And we're always going to have an underlying theme of a very good discussion. I agree. And I'm excited about this one. I feel like I'm on a game show. Well, that's it. We're doing something a little different today. This is called the speed round. And I don't know where I came up uh, with this. I don't even think we discussed it until today. There are a bunch of uh, things that we could discuss that maybe we don't put into a full episode, or maybe they've been part, a little part of some episodes. But uh, so we've been having discussions during this, during this podcast series over a year now. And uh, I think we just went over the year. Uh, what day is it? Yesterday. Hey. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Great. That, that is just uh, stunning, really, that we've been doing this for a year. So much fun. Uh, and thank goodness it's given us uh, a little bit of levity and connectivity during this, this weird, weird uh, situation we find ourselves in called COVID. So 53 episodes, 19 countries, and I'm not sure how many cities because uh, the analytics cut out at 50, but it's a lot. Hmm. Cool. So uh, up until now, we've been kind of dealing with one topic every week and just having great conversations back and forth. And occasionally we've been joined by some great people to have a interview type of session where we can benefit from their experience. So this week, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to take a number of issues or questions and both share our thoughts on that issue or question. Hopefully rapidly, I have no hope that we're going to be quick in this. <laughs> That's right. We always have a, a, a thought behind a thought. Yes, and we like to talk and we like to tell stories. <laughs> exactly. So, so I, I, this is where this is where Alistair, I, I feel there should be a really deep voice. Welcome to the show. Uh, you know, like they always have on the game shows. Well, I've had the pleasure and opportunity to work uh, for years on um, an organization's United Way campaign, and I quickly realized that I was chosen for that job because I am a game show host. That's, ah. that's my only skill. That's my only skill. So uh, this is our version of a game show. Excellent. So let's uh, let's jump right into it. You ready? Yes, I am ready. And there are no rules. There's no phoning friends. There's none of that stuff. This is just Greg and I answering questions rapidly. So, number one, office or workstation as a manager? I personally always liked an office, uh, but my door was always open. So it was kind of a combination, a hybrid of both of them. But when you need the private conversations, you could have them. Um, but normally an office um, for nothing better than to have gathering places. I don't like having an office. Uh for a big chunk of my professional career, we didn't have offices. You were in a car or in a kind of a squad room type of scenario. Um, I prefer being in a workstation. Uh, I wander. Uh, 
but I also like the ability to have a private or, or a, a quieter conversation. So I would prefer to be a work in a workstation, but I would like access to an area where, you know, perhaps you and I, Greg, need to have a conversation, you know, you're struggling with something and everybody else doesn't need to hear it. I like having a workstation because I like it for me, but I also like the openness of a workstation so people can just come up and talk to you and stuff like that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And the office that I had, I often would uh, also make it very clear that people could use my office at any time. So I would go out and actually work in a workspace. If people couldn't find a gathering space that was private enough that they could actually have conversations. So yeah, I'm not hung up on it, but the, uh, I would lean towards the office. Fair enough. This is my favorite question on this list. How late should you send emails? I'm a big believer in uh, stay within the workday, you know, uh, however, you know, they've got some new techniques or new technology like on Google where you can schedule it. Uh, but that can be deadly too, because it doesn't mean I don't work on the weekends, but sometimes I would work on the weekends and then I'd save them. And then the poor people that are working with me have, you, you have 36 new messages on Monday morning. So then you'd start to spread them out because you can schedule them at different times. So it became a, a real strategy. But I'm kind of, uh, if you don't model the behavior of not sending emails, then that, I mean, you know, we need, we need downtime in order to be our best. So I'm a, I'm a big believer, although I would probably not consistently uh, was that great at it. So I'm going to out myself here. Uh, officially, I think I agree with you. It's within the workday. But uh, Sunday night, uh, you and I had discussed a bunch of topics. So I loaded them into our template. And I think it was like 11, 11, 10. And I was, I was just going to push the email and send them to you. Like it's 11, 10 on Sunday night. And I went, you know what? I'd already written this episode and I knew it was one of the questions. So you know what? I'll hold off. I think I sent them to you at like 9.02 Monday morning or something like that. But last night, oh my goodness, I was um, editing uh, one of your Safe Brave Spaces uh, episodes. And uh, I think I was done just after 11. So I, I got the Dropbox going and boom, sent an email. And I go, oh my goodness, I just sent Craig an email at like, 11.10 on a Monday night. And so I have basically uh, not abided by my own expectations. Fortunately, I had been for a massage and I was, I was sound asleep by that time. I was, I was gone at, 11, at 10.30 last night, which was early, but anyways. So there were no consequences to what I did, but there no could have been. Okay. Just don't let it happen again, okay? Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you like people working from home? Yeah, you know, I think it works. Uh, you know, I there's, uh, you know, of course, it's been forced upon us. Um, but I've always had flexible work policies. And as far as I'm concerned, it's just about the results. You know, you clear up front of the expectations and deliverables. And that's your deliverables, your deliverables as a member of a team and your deliverables as a member of an organization. Those get done. Who cares? Right? I, I am totally good. Now, there are jobs that you can't work from home. I mean, when I worked at Porter Airlines, and if you're a uh, customer uh, service person, um, obviously that doesn't work because the people come. But but if the job allows it, why not? So for me, um, for my situation, I was always against myself working from home. I didn't like it, and maybe the jobs I was doing weren't uh, like to your point uh, made for it. Uh, I would let people work from home. 
but they, they would only be the people that I knew would work that if I reached out, they would answer the phone and things like that. I wasn't looking to send team Houdini home. Um, but, um, uh, I think there's been a major shift in my thoughts on this about myself. I've now realized, uh, how effective I can be at home. Uh, and I was talking to somebody the other day and like, I can get more done in two hours than I could in six hours in an office with all the distractions. And depending on what I'm doing, uh, I really like the idea for myself now, which has now opened me up a little bit more, probably a lot more to people that I might have working for me in the future. Now that I understand it better, that I've experienced it, I think a lot of us have had to grasp technology and even doing this podcast. Uh, this was originally designed for us to be in the same room and, and feeding off each other's energy. And we really had to retool and, and, and figure out how to do this in a remote manner. So I'm a lot more open to it now. I, I agree with you. There's some jobs where it just will not work, but uh, I think everybody's had a taste of it, including myself. So I've had a really big shift in my views on this topic. Hmm. My big question is what is team Houdini? <laughs> uh, get out of anything, never hear from them again. Uh -huh. All right. Yeah. yeah. But, but you get, you know, that's, we talk a lot about the manager. This is, this is what um, the role of a good manager is is being really clear about expectations um, and what are those expectations and being realistic on those expectations too, because being available to pick up the phone every time I call, is that realistic or is it that you're going to get back to me within a certain period of time? Cause you never know what's going on. So let's just be realistic on, on what we need when we need it. And uh, then totally, if you, if then uh, often managers hold on to stuff, right? So if you allow you to agree with it, uh, and have the conversation, then give the responsibility to the person who's working at home. And if they choose not to meet the expectations, then then you can rearrange the agreement. I think because of the COVID experience, I would be a much better manager in that situation now than I am before. I've always worked like, you know, being in law enforcement and enforcement within the regulatory framework, you kind of have to be, uh, depend on the things that I did, you kind of had to be at work. There were ways that you could work at home for periods of time. But I think now that I've been through this experience, I have a much better attitude towards it. And I like the, uh, uh, and I knew, I would know now what to expect of others as well. So I think this experience is as terrible as it's been. There is some upside to it. And especially for somebody like me that was not a fan of it before, uh, I totally get it now. And inappropriate, uh, if it's used appropriately for the appropriate jobs, I think there's huge benefits to it. I agree. So talk from behind the desk or do you come around? Well, for me, this has really changed a lot. I've developed a lot really from your, you know, the same experience of being virtual. If I have forgotten to, 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 to get out of my pajama bottoms behind the desk. Um, <laughs> if I, I just, no, so, sorry, I just thought I'd throw that in. So um, I, am, I am definitely a talk from not behind the desk. I think anything that could create barriers to, for really any conversation, I think is is uh, better to not have barriers between you. And so that's always been my perspective. Um, sometimes space doesn't allow it or, uh, or other things, but I much prefer uh, to be uh, not behind a desk. I agree. Uh, when I've had the space, I would prefer to come around and just sit uh, with the person. Uh, I, often I found myself in a space where that wasn't possible. So I, I'm, I'm agree. I agree with you. And I, I've uh, appreciated when I've gone to people much senior in the organizations I've, I've worked in where they uh, quite often they might have 
uh, you know, the desk and then they'll have a couple seats and a kind of a coffee table thing. And they've kind of moved to that section when they want to talk and, you know, do the things. And I think we've talked about this in a, in another podcast where they've left their, um, you know, they've locked up their, their laptop, uh, put left their cell phone on, on the table, on their desk. And then they moved over to the table just with a, a book and a pen. And we sat there and had a great conversation. I really, really appreciate that change in the dynamic when you're having those meetings. So it, I like, I agree with you. I've not always had the physical setup to be able to do that, but I certainly do appreciate it. I agree. I agree 100%. I love that additional point of leaving your technology and stuff on your desk and, and separating. It's kind of, kind of uh, pulling it that I'm here to be present in this conversation. So the next one, uh, do you offsite meetings one-on-one? Yeah, I, I like that um, uh, because one, it gets into a new space and it doesn't matter what the conversation is, but sometimes the most creative conversations happen when you are offsite. So uh, often, and we've mentioned this on other conversations, I'd say, hey, let's go for a walk. And we go for a walk around the neighborhood outside the office building. Um, sometimes we'd go for a coffee or lunch somewhere else, or, uh, sometimes it would be on site, but in the cafeteria, you know, or in a different place than we'd normally go. There's something about getting to a different place that opens up space and, and opens up the dialogue. So when I can, I do, you know, there are other times when you just more necessary to do it on site, but if you can, uh, I, I, I like that idea. I really like the idea. I, I wish people more people had done that with me. Where I really appreciate this is uh, uh, kind of the coffee scenario is on the mentoring side of things when perhaps you're pulling somebody aside to uh, kind of deal with the situation or just pure mentoring where you're encouraging them and listening to some stuff. I think it's so effective when you go off site you know, grab a cup, a couple of coffees or a tea or whatever it is. And uh, I, I worked downtown for the longest time and the, the path system in Toronto. So even if there's inclement weather outside, you can go all over the downtown through all these undergrounds and there's all sorts of uh, coffee shops and things like that around there. So I really love this, especially on the mentoring side of things. Mm-hmm. I agree hundred uh, percent. Long voicemails. Huh probably uh, too often give them and hate receiving them um, because you, I, I get bored too easy. You get to the point, focus on it. But then like this response to this question, sometimes I can go long. <laughs> I'm exactly the same as you. I, I've probably given too many long ones. And if I'm getting one, like if I'm retrieving my voicemails and I know it's going to go on, I, I delete it and I go find the person. Yeah. I'd rather I'd rather hear about it once than twice. And, it, you know, from the time of the voicemail and you listen to this whole thing and then you go talk to them, it might have changed anyway. So I just go straight to the source. And I'm one of these people, I don't want to talk on the phone, especially if we're on the same floor or in the same building. You send me a voicemail message and I'll send you a text. I'm on the way. Let's let's talk to you for t- 10 minutes. And I just, I want to hear it once from you, person to person. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Generationally, I think this is pretty interesting because I find that young people don't even listen to their voicemails or many don't. I know my kids don't. And maybe that's just my kids, but I don't think that is the case that uh, often, and maybe it's not, I don't think it's just generational now that I think about it. I think most, many people just uh, don't listen to voicemails anymore. So you might leave them, but you don't, so you text, you do other things along there. So it's also really important to decide how best 
Do they receive information and knowing each of the person, right? Well, it's funny when you talk to generations that are older than us, uh, you know, somebody would leave me a voicemail message. So I just call them to go. So, so what do you think you know, about what the message? Well, I didn't listen to your message. I'm just calling you back now. And they're a little offended, but it's like, I'd rather just hear it once from you now where I can hear the inflection in your voice as we're talking, or if we're in person that I can see, because communication is just more than your voice, right? It's, it's your, you know, it, it's body, it's everything. And, and so <laughs> some of the older people, they get a little irritated with me, but it's like, Hey, listen, I'm sorry. Like I'd rather communicate face to face. It's just better for me. So, excuse me, are you calling me old? Is that what this, is that what your point was? Dude, this is about just, you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're, I'm calling you sensitive, Greg, because obviously you are sensitive. So. And it, it's funny because uh, I, that's my experience with younger people as well as they don't, they don't listen to their voicemail. Like, uh, you know, anybody younger that I know that I might have a conversation with, I just text them. That, that's what they answer to. Yeah. 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 It's in what, what you're used to, right? What's your normal. And that's just, frankly, whatever the age is, whatever the generation is, just understand how best do I connect and communicate with this person and, uh, and flux. I agree. So uh, team members, should they make appointments to have a conversation with you? Well, this is interesting because um, uh, see, and since going out on my own consulting and coaching, I have a new, uh, uh, appointment system where I send links to people and I love this system because it saves so much time going back and forth and allows the person to choose the times that work best for them. So with the new technology, I would say with this, yes, it's great. You know, listen, um, you check my schedule and find the time that works for you and block off uh, 30 minutes to have a conversation. You know, you can block off the amount of information, the amount of time you need so it's very fluid. So I, I think this enables choice uh, going, going forward. I think you should also initiate regular connections with your folks proactively, but I definitely think they should be able to make appointments. And in fact, technology now allows it, them to do it when it works best for them. Is this a system I refuse to use with you? Yeah, well, you know, I, I do find that sometimes older folks have problems with yeah. some technology. <laughs> yeah for me um i like an open door i love people just dropping in and talking about something but in many of the subject matters that i deal with it's going to need a, a longer um conversation and sometimes there's a, a one-page memo or somebody sends me an email with just the bullet points on it so that we can have a really good conversation in situations like that somebody will come by and say listen i'd like to talk to you about this matter it's probably going to take about 25 or 30 minutes. I go, well, okay, I have 10 minutes. So uh, after 11 o'clock, I'm good for about two or three hours. Book a time because we can all look at each other's calendars and see. I said, book, book the amount of time that you think we're going to need to discuss this so that we can have a really good chat on it. So I'm of both camps. It depends what you need to talk about. If it's, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a legal matter, an investigative matter, that we're going to have to go through uh, a bunch of hypotheticals and, and things like that, then we're probably going to need a more formal time set. We might need another person or two in the room as well. So in that situation, I would ask them to make an appointment, but it often starts off with a drop by where somebody's just kind of drop by. Right. And, and so to me, it depends on the situation. If it's a 10 minute thing or a five minute thing, yeah, just drop in because if my door is open, it means I'm, I'm not doing anything. Well, I'm not doing anything. I'm available. And my, the only caveat would be if we're like quarter to the hour, 10 to the hour, 
I'd say, listen, yeah, I've got five minutes uh, at five two. I got to start walking. But uh, if we're still talking, then just come with me and we'll go up the elevator. And, and you know, when I reach my destination, you know, we're going to be done. So I like both. It depends on the situation. And I always try to be realistic with people about what my kind of situation is in the moment in terms of how much time I have. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. So it is, it is not forcing people to make an appointment, but it's just to allowing them uh, and, uh, and also still being open for those, uh, those casual connections that are so important, which we talked about on the last podcast. The places of our conversation. Right. Which will be episode 54, I believe. Perfect. Uh, hardest thing to tell somebody? I think um, it, it probably is that we're going to have to let you go. Uh, and it, sh it, 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 it shouldn't, in all situations, uh, the best managers have done their work. And so it's not a surprise, but, you know, it's always a surprise. And so those are, for me, that's been the probably the, the toughest situation. I've had to do that a lot through my career, being in HR, for sure, being the person on the end. And, you know, it's just how best do I support the person as they're going through this challenging, challenging time. But that would be probably, for me, the hardest thing that I've had to tell somebody. How about you? Uh, I have a two-part answer to this one. And I didn't know I had a two-part answer to it when I, when I wrote down the question. Uh, the first one, in a role that I played within the police as a supervisor or frontline manager, the hardest job for me was to go tell uh, members of the public that a member of their family had passed away, whether it was an accident or, or something more sinister or whatever it was. Uh, quite often, uh, if we were available, that was our job to do. Now, in terms of within the organization, organizations that I've worked, I think the hardest thing for me to do, um, I don't mind telling somebody they've done something wrong and have that discussion. I don't enjoy it, but I also, maybe because I come from a paramilitary organization, that is a necessity, so you just do it. The hardest conversations to me, having worked within you know government fiscal restraint types of situations for most of my career, is having like an annual review with somebody and saying, hey, listen, you know, Greg, you do a great job. You bring so much to the team. This is specifically what I appreciate about you. This is what I appreciate about what you've accomplished this year. And by the way, I can't give you a raise hmm. because we're limited or you've reached uh, range maximum, whatever it is. That to me is, is the, really the hardest conversation I find with my personality because Greg, I wanna give you a 10% right now. I wanna, I wanna promote you on the spot because you bring the job, you do what you have to do. and. Uh, you informally lead other people. I would like to like anoint you as whatever right now. And I find for me, it's personally frustrating when I have to have a really good conversation with you and the outcome of that conversation is not going to be as beneficial to you as you deserve. Yeah. And it can be tough to, uh, depending on the constructs of the performance uh, review process and the compensation process of an organization and if you don't have access to, you know, what's the market comp, because I mean, at least if you're informed and you can have a good conversation with someone, you know, to say, you know what, uh, we really value and that's why we pay you at above market because we really value who you are and that type of thing. And then you can also bring in other opportunities, but those conversations are tough. And when it's a budgetary thing and you can't give something, boy, oh boy, it makes it more difficult. I agree. How late of a start time by team members before you feel uncomfortable? So clarify this one for me. 
how late of a start time? Is that them arriving at a meeting or, or them uh, starting in the job? Starting in the job. Okay. This is interesting because I was talking to uh, a colleague recently where um, they were helping this other organization and they terminated someone within two months before the end of the probationary period. Um, and, uh, but you know, sometimes, you know, you know, and, uh, uh, often if you do your good work at the beginning, you hire the right person, you do the right, have the right questions, you set them up for success. So, um, I think this can, this one can vary depending upon the situation where you find yourself in. Um, I'm a big believer of, of really being crisp up front, what the deliverables are, um, and holding people accountable and giving them feedback right away. And if you're seeing something, even after a month, that it doesn't look like it's going to work out and you made the wrong choice, um, uh, probably maybe not a month, but uh, I'm better be pretty crisp and clear of what you need to see differently. Um, and, and so you can move, but move before the probationary period. And probationary period is just kind of a, yeah, legally it's there, uh, but in all situations, I've seen people leave it, drag it, drag it, drag it, drag it, and then it's just such a mess. Be decisive, make difference. So I, I, I think definitely got to give a month to give a good clarity, and you got to give it enough to see that the person, uh, how they've been able to tackle clear expectations. But if you got those and they're consistently missing them, have an honest conversation with them early as possible. I agree, and uh, one of the things in in posing this question is I agree 100% with everything you've said so far. I think, uh, you know, because of the reality of COVIDs and just the reality of, of especially, you know, you and I both live in the greater Toronto area and uh, uh, just with the transit woes and, uh, you know, the lack of foresight in, in that how big this area was going to be and how uh, dense and how much community, um, how much transport infrastructure needed to be invested years ago. Uh, one of the things I've been very uh, aware of, and uh, I'm glad that people felt comfortable talking to me, perhaps somebody's going through uh, a change in their family life. Uh, perhaps now, you know, somebody is a sole parent and, and there's stuff. What I really appreciate about people, especially the people that just work when they're there, uh, they work hard. So there's been times when I've made accommodations for people, perhaps they have to drop somebody off at school or somebody's ill and things have to happen. I just find um, if it's legitimate and it almost always is that uh, when they come up to me and say, listen, Alistair, uh, for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I can't be until 10 o'clock. This is what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I'm going to, you know, I'll be in at 10, I'll work till four and then I'm going to come online. Uh, this is what I'm working on. I'm going to work for a couple hours at night. I have no problem with that whatsoever, especially if they're a good worker, they're being responsible, they're telling me up front that they're dealing with issues. I just love that relationship where, especially if I know the work's getting done, that they're okay. And, you know, when you uh, trust somebody and you invest in somebody and you make, you know, the accommodations that are necessary, that employee is is not going to they're not going to cross you they are going to do their job they're going to do their job well and that type of relationship and when other people see that you're dealing with people in a really fair manner and you're being supportive um you know there's always one or two people in a big crew that are are kind of devilish and how they look at things and see the world 
but the rest of the people are going to appreciate what you're doing, that you're supporting this person. And they're, they know that, you know, you as a manager, if they run into some difficulties, if they're dealing with personal situations or health situations or, you know, sandwich generation types of issues with older parents and stuff like that, that you're going to be fair and that you're going to support them. That goes a long way to just a great work environment. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I maybe mis misunderstood uh, the question, but I, uh, I actually think this goes back to an earlier question or this whole question about like working at home and those kinds of things. And I, I think that in today's world, it is about knowing clearly your principles. What are your guiding principles? And that everyone knows your guiding principles to make these decisions. And one is results. Uh, and we talked about the three results, you, you delivering what your expectations are, you delivering what the team needs and you delivering what the organization needs. Um, and, and then what are the other principles that you have as a part of your decision-making around flexibility of work and when people come in, when they arrive, when they leave, all those kinds of things, just be clear on those things and be consistent in those application. And people will then look at this and say, Hmm, yeah, you know what? I, I get how he's thinking through these things and that is a uh, equitable approach. Yeah, I like that. And by the way, I have no idea what my answers were going to be for the, any of these questions. I just wrote down the questions. Yeah, yeah and, no, that's cool. That's cool. And most of them are, you know, they're being, uh, I'm thinking about them today. And also I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm going, oh, what can I add to that? Like, how do I approach this? So this is why I love our, us having these conversations because we, we come from very diverse work backgrounds and experiences. And I, I just think it, gives uh, a better uh, idea to people about uh, some of these questions on how other people approach them. Well, you know, what I also think is an interesting learning here is that whether you're a manager or an employee, if a question is asked and you're not really sure what exactly they're getting at, um, clarify mm -hmm. and say, so by this question, Alistair, uh, I'm thinking what you're saying is, uh, you know, how much time do you give someone before you know they're successful in their, in their new role? Uh, and uh, what's your guidelines? And, and then you'd say, no, 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 Greg, uh, what I meant by this was if someone shows up late, <laughs> specifically, but that's what I mean by start time, this is, this is what I'm like, how do, you, how do you deal with that? What do you be uncomfortable with? And so, oh, okay, that's what it is. So uh, I think asking for clarification of these things is a great way because sometimes as we've shown in this question, beautiful demonstration for our listeners, is that a question can mean different things depending upon where you're at, your experience or your construct. So let's just uh, be clear, clear on, on you know, where we're going. And if we're not, then sometimes we learn new perspectives and thoughts. So You're making an, an assumption I had a purpose in any of these questions. <laughs> 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 so um are you a wanderer or are you planted in the office oh i'm definitely a wanderer i like to wander so uh, i like to uh just um be present be around um uh and uh, uh physically i like to do it that's how i learn so that's just who i am i am a total nomad 
I do not like sitting in the office. I like to wander around, talk to people. Uh, I don't avoid anything, but I just find uh, an office very confining, which explains my answer previously why I want to be in a workstation. And uh, uh, like, you know, I, I give up at any time I was willing to get up an office in like two seconds. Somebody else needs it, I'm, out, I'm good. But uh, I like to wander around. I find, uh, especially in the creative space, wandering around is just so helpful. And uh, it might look like I'm just wandering around, but I'm actually thinking about something. You sit down and boom, you know, five minutes later, it, it's, uh, uh, it's done. So uh, I'm, I'm 100%, uh, uh, you know, somebody needs to put a locator beacon on me. But, you know, people just text me like, Alistair, I went by your office. I need to talk to you. Okay, right there. And when I mean there, I mean their, their desk, their office, right? So, uh, no, I like to wander. I find uh, maybe it's because of where I worked before, where, you know, you were out in the city, walking around, doing whatever. And I think that's just what, uh, uh, you know, that's what it is. Yeah, cool. Uh, do you have go-to people? Yeah, always. And usually it is based upon, uh, it begins with my self-awareness of, who am I? Uh, what are my growth edges? What are the areas that I'm not really that great at? And then surrounding myself with what I call my inner circle that uh, has people that are, um, I always say shared heart, but different perspectives and gifts. That Those are my go-to people. And, and it is so much more effective and um, uh, so much more powerful. And if you don't have a go-to inner circle, whatever you want to call it, boy, oh boy, figure that out. Cause that is, um, a stabilizer in challenging times. I've always had go-to people. I've also heard arguments by other people saying that go-to people is not fair on other people. And I agree, but that doesn't mean I'm still not going to do it. I love having a group of people around me that we, like you say, think the same, you know, we have the same desires that they bring different experiences. They'll say no to me. They'll say, Alistair, you're crazy. You can't do it that way. I love those people around me. It makes me a better person. I think it makes them a better person. And uh, I remember a long, long time ago, um, it was in the police. I was a uniform supervisor. And we had to put a couple of people out to do a special project in plain clothes. And, and one of the young pops came up and complained to me, said, how come they get chosen? And uh, I said, well, listen, you know, you're in your first year. You have a lot to learn. You have, you're in a three-year learning plan. And maybe when that's done, you'll get an opportunity to do this. The reality is these people have done this before. I know they're going to go out and do it. They're going to do it properly. They're going to get the support that they need to do whatever is needed. And it's just their time. It's not your time right now. And so I think... Um, it's a very important thing, especially if you're developing as well leaders and other people to lead, lead projects and stuff like that. When you have go-to people, they learn a lot from you and they learn what is expected. They learn to work in a tight team. Uh, I can understand why people on the outside think it's unfair and it probably is, but that's not the reality of how things get done. We all have go-to people, the best leaders uh, when they go to somewhere new, they develop some new people within their inner circle, but they also bring their inner circle from wherever they came from. And to me, that's always been a sign of a good leader when they bring a couple people with them. Uh, that says a lot to me about how they lead and what type of person they are. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's really interesting what you said, because we had a conversation with, uh, mm -hmm. uh, as we were in, in the, the consulting group that I'm a part of right now, is that we talked about this whole topic of go-to people. And when we have a project, there are certain other partners that we go to right away because they have the expertise. But our shared commitment as partners, it's a small partnership of 10, is growth and learning. 
So what we've done is we've actually put in a couple of questions for us to pause before we naturally go to our go-to people. So uh, it might be the complexity of the project. It might be the, the state of the relationship with the client. Um, but it might be my personal expertise and what's needed. But how do then I pause and say, okay, I naturally go to this person because way we work well together, we got a great flow going on and that's important. But as part of a shared commitment of development, who else is a interested in? What is their capability? And if the complexity isn't at a level that I have to have to worry about, I will take risk to going outside my go-to people for those situations. So I do think, and I, you you highlight this a little bit, is that um, I think there are questions that you can ask before you naturally reflex and go to Mary. Um, if Jane and uh, um, uh, Bob have said that this is a growth area and you're committed to supporting them in the growth area, this may be the one where you decide. But what are those two or three questions that can allow you to spread the, the learning opportunities without getting into the habit of going to your, your go-to person? But it's so easy you feel so comfortable and you know the job's going to get done, right? That That's the motivation to having these people around. And you might like them as well. I agree. Until Mary leaves and then you're big caca because you have no one else who's had any experience whatsoever. So the longer term vision, you may still use Mary 60% uh, of the time, but 40% of the time you're going to ask others and that broadens your team. But it's tough to your point. The easy, the easy route is to go to Mary. Yeah, I agree 100%. That that question, I wasn't sure how how the, that was going to be quick or not. That was a very insightful answers, I thought. I think we've given a lot of people to think about. Yeah, you know, on both sides. Yeah. yeah, on both sides. For sure. Okay, uh, we haven't said, the only reason I put this last question in there, Greg, was because we haven't talked about it forever. Do we really like potlucks? Well, you know, I think I've shared with this in the show before, but if not, uh, I'm more of a shop luck guy myself, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which means that I purchase uh, goods. But I, I think this is one of those things that once we get double vaxxed and get beyond this thing, boy, this is something that will be tricky, but so important. I love potlucks. And some of the things that I love the best uh, are potlucks with themes. Um, uh, uh, cultural themes, what bring, bring the, uh, the dish your mom, your mom or dad made, or you remember from your childhood, you know, bring your favorite dish today. Um, you know, having those kinds of, uh, themed potlucks are so cool because one, it, it deepens your understanding of each other, um, often results in amazing food. Um, and from a diversity inclusion perspective, it widens the scope. So I actually, love uh, potlucks. I remember once when I worked at Campbell's Soup, there was this, uh, the procurement department had the best potlucks. And there was this one um, woman, I, I believe she was from the Philippines, that would always bring in a roasted pig. And it was like a gathering moment for, of course, anyone who wasn't a, a, vegetation, a vegetarian or a vegan, but uh, um, it was like amazing. And uh, this was the most culturally diverse group in the organization and the food was outstanding. Uh, so yes, big double thumbs up for potlucks. I agree. And you know, I have seen a version of this during the, the remote 
working stage that we've been in where uh, groups will say, hey, listen, uh, and I've participated in a, a couple of these where, uh, you know, we're having lunch together virtually and this is the theme and every, you know, and then there, there's this conversation about stuff. You, what are you having? And you can do this remotely. You just don't get to actually sample other people's food. But, uh, you know, you, you emphasize the theme aspect versus, you know, being able to share, uh, you know, platters of food and stuff like that. I, I love this idea. I think it's one of those great informal getting togethers and you can do it, you know, in person or remote as well. Yeah. And you can also, uh, I've seen posting of uh, recipes, uh, the virtual cookbook. Um, you know, when years and years ago, people used to collect cookbooks in organizations and sell the books print them and sell them for the United Way and all that kind of stuff. Well, now you can do this virtually to your point saying, okay, here's what we've created. Here's what it is. And here's the recipe. And then you can create, you know, discussions, you know, or, or uh, I've seen um, folks um, do a video from their kitchen and show the preparation. And uh, one organization I know uh, took turns, they'd send recipes out and ingredients lists and one of the staff would prepare it and teach them how to make their uh, their their traditional cooking. Fantastic! And again, people get to try new stuff. They're in their spaces at home, and everybody's got their computers set up. That's a, such a fun, simple way to uh, ask for a volunteer and um, create a deeper understanding. And to your point, not just the tasting of the food, but what's the story behind the food. When was this? And, and, you know, and, and that's where you really, uh, just gets really special. Well, I just wanted to talk about potluck because I think it's been about 20 episodes before we, since we even said the last word. It has been, I've been wondering when it's going to come back. So I'm yeah. glad. Uh, listen, I think that's good. We, we knocked off 12 questions. We might have to do this again because there's all sorts of great questions like this that we could go through. Uh, well, maybe not quickly, but quicker than making them a whole episode. So this is good. So uh, listen, we hope that uh, some of what we've spoken about you find helpful. Uh, I hope that we didn't say anything that you found offensive or made you angry, but uh, I think your philosophy lands on this episode as well, my friend. Yeah. And you know, one thing I want to say is this is a great example of something you can do together. So whether you use these questions or uh, create other questions, this is a fun way of connecting with your team and having a conversation and uh, probably if you have a team you could do four questions you know what the four questions today we're going to do and you know or 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 collect those questions so i think you know hopefully this will be a, a model but uh, coming back to the uh, the philosophy that we always end in is that um, uh, early on in my coaching career or my my career my coach uh, um, shared with me that the best coaching sessions are going to be those that you have, uh, you leave with a little bit of joy and a little bit of churn. And the joy is when, uh, you feel you're making traction, you're feeling good and you know, you're, you're making a difference in your growth. Um, and churn is when something hits you and say, oh man, I messed up again, or boy, I'm not doing that well. Or if they send something that peeves you off, those are often the ones where you just get, you know, cause usually those are the things that, you know, upon reflection, they peeve you off only because, you know, there's a truth um, that's hit you. Uh, so in both situations, beautiful opportunities for learning. And so we hope even in this one, although this was a little lighter, a little more fun, that the ideas and the concepts and maybe even each of our opinions on each of these may have created you some churn and some uh, and some joy. 
and uh, and some learning, hopefully, uh, as you continue to your growth as a manager. Okay, I can see the wheels spinning in your head right now. So I, I, I imagine that at the moment, you're creating a module for one of your consulting partners, uh, clients, where you're going to be coming up with lists of questions like this and to build some cohesiveness and some understanding amongst maybe even a management team, you pose all these questions and get people talking about them. You know, I'm a, you know me, I'm a big believer in questions uh, that create dialogue because I think that is where you learn and grow and uh, deepen relationship. So yes, I have a, a lot of these ones. I thought, oh, that's a good one. I'll have to remember that. Yeah, so I'm, you, you read me right. Okay, watch out all of Greg's clients. He's coming uh, with questions. <laughs> that's right. All right, uh, listen, remember people matter. Take the time with the people you work with. They're an important part of your job, your success, or your failure. Talk to you next time. Take care.